Welcome to Everything In Between, the podcast where a dad and daughter duo delve deep into topics ranging from true crime to paranormal occurrences to urban legends and, well, everything in between. I'm Emma. I'm the dad. <laughs> That's Anish. Uh, and I guess... I think my jacket's making noise. Like, I feel like I can hear it. It's my... Right there. I think I'm It's my windbreaker. I gotta take it off. We'll talk about that. My Liverpool windbreaker. I take my jacket off. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Um, I was wearing that windbreaker for with pride. Yes. Why don't you start us off then? How's your week? We are back at the top of the table. First place. First place. I mean, first we still place. Have a we still have a game in hand, so it's a, first place. It's, it is, but it was a crazy game. We played Tottenham at home. And we went up one nothing in like the 16th minute on an incredible what, goal. What? Robo, 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 Defamino. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, the second half we just looked heavy leg. It was it was just not a good half. And Spurs were knocked on the door. They tied it up. And then um, Van Dyke made an incredible two on one against Van Dyke, and he stopped what it should have been a sure goal, but he might have gotten hurt, which is bad. And then, in almost extra time in the 90th minute oh wow um we were were we just i mean we were just coming down they, they scored in the i want to say close to the 75th 78th minute um or around that period of time and then for the last 15 you know 12 to 15 minutes we were just pushing 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 and uh sala beautiful like over corner kick they try to clear it um and then they uh brought it back to uh uh, Trent Trent crossed it back over. Salah headed at goal, and Luis. <laughs> I he. I mean, it was goalie's fault. Like literally went through his hands, knocked off one of um, their players, Adderwald, and it own goal, and we won two one. So I mean, sometimes you need that luck, and maybe that just means it's our time. But you got to believe now. I mean, six games left for us, seven yeah, for that's... City. Again, City's game in hand. And if City wins out, they win. They deserve it. They'll, if they win out, they deserve right. the Champions, Champions League. But um, I mean, not Champions League. Sorry, the Premier League. <laughs> but yeah, but it was an incredible game. And the place was insane. It was so I loud. saw the, like, it, the it, You could just, it was loud the whole time. And then uh, NBC Sports was in Boston at Fenway Park doing their um, like fan-based thing. So it was kind of cool. And yeah. uh, so good for yourself. that too. Yeah, we saw... Uh, Chris's coach got a picture with the uh, yeah. the trophy, and he he was wearing his Chelsea kit. When we don't fault him, well, we kind of fault him for that. But <laughs> his buddy was a Liverpool fan, has Liverpool scarf, but he didn't touch the trophy, which is good. So no bad luck. But yeah, top of the table. All right. Um, well, that's the the happy thing, but I think we have an, like a sad thing that we need to say. <sighs> we retired the, the Pathfinder. Yeah, I've had that car for like going into its fifteenth year. So. Like the only car besides like mom's car like, that I remember. Well, it's my second Pathfinder. My previous Pathfinder. I didn't remember that one at I all. Had, yeah. I only remember. We got the that. One. Yeah, we got this one, the one in 05, but I had another Pathfinder that I had for oh my God. Um, since uh, 95. That was 10 years. The previous Pathfinder was oh, 10 wow. years before we got rid of it. But um, I don't like the new Pathfinder, so we had to get something new. And um, your mom's Google Foo, she kind of looked for. <laughs> The, you know, something decent. And we had the extra, uh, the um, cross track, but um, <laughs> yeah, the extra track. 
but uh so we, we stuck with subaru and uh we did the ascent so i'm kind of it's nice I, I mean it's just modern compared to whatever we had before but yeah i'm still sad about the pathfinder i mean i did have to take a moment when we were when i was picking up the car gotta say i did i did cry a couple times over it but i got to keep my plate my license yes, plate that did. i had on that car i've had since it was like one of the first things i got when i moved to boston that, that license plate was from 93 wow so uh um, old yeah i guess and i'm only allowed to hang it in the bathroom so, <laughs> so he's such a but, but it'll live on so there we go but yeah so um, yeah sad bittersweet um but um we'll just have to make new memories in this one the new, oh yeah the new rig so oh yeah um all right then let's move on to what we just watched like maybe 10 minutes ago <laughs> uh you showed me the new annabelle trailer which i haven't oh God. Which again, it's good. It's good, scary. And I'm hoping that we just didn't see every scary part. In, yeah, that's uh, yeah. But um, it comes out the day before my birthday. And we and I had I have. There's been two other Annabelle movies oh, in the I franchise. Have no idea. I feel like I've, I haven't seen either one of them. But this seems I to be going back to the Conjuring universe in itself because it's it's in the same time frame of um, the Conjuring movies. Mm-hmm. And it um, we're not giving anything away. It's basically Annabelle comes home i think that's, the, that's what it's called yeah. so it takes place in the warren's house yeah with the daughter right and again the daughter had a uh a, i mean she she, she was, well she had that component in the first one where she gets yeah in the, in the first conjuring so i feel like this was that continuity that they just they paused for the second one you haven't seen the second I have one. I've not yet. seen. I've only seen All the first because right, second one's the, the Enfield poltergeist. But but it's a heck of a trailer, and I'm just hoping. Wait, the Conjuring is the Enfield? Yeah. That's how second the one. first. Oh, the second second one. So sorry, the first sorry, one's sorry. the parents, right? The parents, right? I think right. that might be one of my yeah. future topics. But yeah, the second one's the Enfield poltergeist. But uh, but yeah, I'm just hoping that it 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 looked good. It did. So, um, yeah. It looks uh, like an all female cast too, which is kind of cool. That's, yeah, I so, didn't even realize yeah. that. So that's sweet. I'm excited and also like not like. Very I wouldn't let her watch it in Maine afraid. when we were done. Yeah, I like, told you about it yesterday. I'm like, yeah, we went up this. to Maine and then uh, you stayed here yeah. and you texted me. You were like, oh, you know, new animal trailer, and I was like, oh no, and you were like, don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't have slept at all. <laughs> no, I watching that now, like I would not have slept. No. Oh, especially yeah. That it's room. just me in that creepy room, like yeah. it's creepy. I don't know why you think it's creepy, but yeah. it's terrifying because like there's such a distance from the light switch. Like there's also so many reflections because right. you have the closet mirror and then there's like a bunch of windows that just all reflect and then yeah. All right, so we just need a light switch by your bed and you'd be fine. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, we'll buy the clapper. No, 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 no. That's the opposite of what I want. Wait a minute. No, that might be worse. All right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, watch the trailer. At, you should watch it at dark. No. You know, with when you're home alone. This is don't do that. That's bad advice. All the lights on, surrounded yeah. by like friends, family. Yeah, and all your dolls. No. <laughs> Stop taking. Don't take his advice. <laughs> this is not a good idea. Um. Okay. Uh. Also. BuzzFeed Unsolved, True Crime, Season 5, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. just started. I'm very happy about it. We couldn't watch the first one, like, the, the day it came out, because we were watching Shawshank. That's right, yeah, yeah. I think I might have actually talked about BuzzFeed Unsolved last episode. I don't think you did. I don't, I don't even remember, but yeah. well, I'm just going to say it again if yeah. I said it before. But, but we still haven't watched the uh, after show, like, their Q&A thing. I don't know if they've posted it yet. Oh, okay, all right. 
I really want them to because I want to uh, to find out what happens next on the Hot Daga. Which you don't care much no. for, but I do. I loved it. I watched the whole thing. Okay. So great. Okay. Um, yeah. We also haven't watched the most recent one because we were in Maine. You were here. So yep. that's the shark arm murders. Okay, Murder? Cool. Murders? Yeah. I don't remember. But it's good. Well, I know the story, but it's good. Uh, then, of course, what we do in the shadows. I think we might have talked about this a little bit we last We were saying week. it was coming out, right? Yes. I believe we saw it. But we, did, we watched the first episode. I don't think we had really high hopes, but it was... Well, I think it was hard because we didn't know how... I, I mean, I did read that they weren't going to... Um, they weren't going to stick to the exact same um, story as the as the movie. And, right. And again, it was a short film first, then it was a movie. And they... I mean, there's similarities in the sense of the house and everything else like that, but the characters are different and they all have different backstories and even the familiar... The opening was very similar. Yeah, the opening, yeah, kind of. Yeah, true. Um, and the familiar is different. And then the whole, um, it's a, an emotion, an energy vampire. Yes. The, that was so, so funny. <laughs> that's pretty cool. But that's his name. Isn't his name the same? Again, I want to give away what the, the movie, but, um, the newest vampire's friend, the IT consultant, isn't it also what? Colin? No, he's, uh, Stu. Oh, Stu, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mistake. My mistake. <laughs> How could you forget Stu? Yeah, that's true. Stu. That's my bad. That's totally my bad. Stu is my favorite uh, character. Stu is awesome, yeah. But um, it's good. I, I think they, they did a really good job. And uh, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's on FX. I think. I think it's FX. I think it's on FX. Um, we just watched it basically on the FX Now app. But yeah. um, Or was it on IFC? No, no, it's FX. It it's, is FX? It's, okay, it's I FX. thought I saw yeah. it was on. Uh, and it's Wednesday nights, 10 o'clock definitely you should watch so it. once you've listened to our episode that comes out yeah. you can now watch it what we do in yeah. the well, you should, and if you haven't seen the movie please watch the you movie. should watch it's the movie so it's, it's great yeah absolutely it's absolutely. definitely it's like a movie that i put on when i just want to watch yeah. something and yeah. be entertained no oh, cool it's really good yeah. uh and then i go ahead i was gonna say i i started watching the twilight zone oh that's right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's really i mean really good i really like the old the old twilight zone yeah the old one one just came out oh i didn't know that there was a new one then how did you get onto the twilight zone it was was my recommended oh that's too funny no no um jordan peele is resurrecting the twilight zone the first episode just came came up on imdb when i was looking up uh one of the actors yeah so i thought that's why you were watching the old one no i just it just came up i was looking for something to watch oh cool all right um but yeah really good um i've realized that like old Hollywood actors are just more attractive than <laughs> they're just, there's just something about it. All right. It's just all right. so great. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think that's all yeah, <laughs> kind of a good. long opening, but that's okay. Uh, let's jump into the stories then. All right. All right. Uh, I've got kind of a semi long one for you. Uh, it's true crime. Okay. Um, and takes place in Oklahoma. All right. And I'm going to talk to you about the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. Uh, why did it? I think, I mean, it's quite a popular case. No? No, I feel like, didn't you do a story about Girl Scout? Well, I did, uh, what's her name? Uh, Marsha Trimble. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was a Girl Scout. Right, 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 right. But I actually... 
am doing this topic because on her Wikipedia page, it was in the related okay. thing. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's probably why. I think, um, I don't know if I, I don't know all the details of this. I, I don't. So this will be cool. All right. Uh, so I've got quite a lot of pictures for this one and it kind of jumps in right away. So why don't you go to the drive? All right. Okay. All right. So uh, you can go to the first picture. Uh, some of them are kind of small, but uh, and also uh, most of this information I got from a website that's literally just called girlscoutmurders.com. Uh, they had like a whole timeline and I, they had a lot of pictures and I got most of my like pictures and info yeah, from them. Oh, cool. that's good. Uh, so yeah, pretty great. Um, yeah, they have, they have a lot more extensive so stuff what than I have. Is Camp Scott relevant it is no, very well, relevant well, i'm just you know what it, what's the story behind camp scott well i'm gonna tell you okay so uh this is where this whole thing takes place okay uh so in april of 1977 uh during an on-site training session at camp scott in uh mays county oklahoma mm-hmm. a counselor returned to her cabin to find her belongings ransacked and which it's probably the only funny thing of this story. All the donuts stolen from a box that she had in there. Even the jellies? I think so. Even <gasps> the jellies. <laughs> I know. So, it's, this is, empty donut box. Well, I feel bad because I know it's not going to be funny. So, but. No, it's not. But I was trying to get a little bit of brightness in here before I completely... So you got all the brightness out in the beginning and now we're going right to the Yeah, darkness. everything else is just really right. sad. Uh, so inside the box was a handwritten note. And the note read that the that uh, three girls at the camp would be murdered. No. Yeah. Uh, and is that this true? The yes, this is true. Like not that. Not no, like no, that. no. I mean, like, I feel like this is just like the beginning of every horror movie. Is that you know? I yeah, eat the donuts. Like the person. <laughs> and now I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> yeah. So the person was like, "I'm gonna murder three girls at this camp." Uh, so the counselor gave it to the director of the camp, and the director was like, "Yeah, this is just a prank." So uh, they threw it away. But, unfortunately, it was not a prank. So, oh, man. That director must feel like crap. Yeah. I, yeah. All right. Um, so, on June 12th, 1977, at around 7 p.m. on the first night of a two-week camp session, a thunderstorm hits Camp Scott. You gotta be kidding. Isn't this, like, the, like the perfect horror movie? Yeah. <laughs> so far, I feel like this is... <laughs> This is a script. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in tent number eight, located farthest from the camp counselor's tent, 86 yards away, and partially obscured by the camp showers, slept Lori Lee Farmer, eight, uh, Doris Denise Milner, ten, and Michelle Heather Goose, nine. Oh, my God. So, during the night, counselor Carla Wilhite was awakened by a, quote, guttural noise. And this is the this is the eighty six yards away. Yeah. A guttural noise. Yeah. Eighty six yards away. Eighty six yards away. She awakens by to a guttural. Oh my god. So she woke up another counselor in her tent uh, named D Elder, and asked if she had heard the noise as well, but she had not. And these are the, I mean, I know it's the seventies, but it's the like old school tents, you know that. Um. Do you have pictures of them? All right, we'll get to it. It. Yeah, it's actually the next so they're, picture. They're not they're not like the zip up this kind of that. It's like just kind of like an open Just go stand. to the next picture. All right. Oh yeah. Okay. 
So yeah, that's what they look like. So it's pretty much an open tent, no sides, with on a platform with cots. I guess so. so. It I, looked I, like I assumed. Like I don't know what seventies tents looked like, but I just assumed that the the sides went maybe down. Maybe they but are, I guess but they're not. They I know, okay, that's fair enough. Good. It looks like they roll down. I'm already like, ugh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but um, so the elder had not heard the noises. So Carla brought her flashlight outside to survey the woods. Uh, the sounds eventually stopped. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So she's still hearing sounds? Yeah, it's continuously. I think in the so article. So she wakes up. She wakes up. She goes to tells, investigate. Asks her counselor roommate, do you hear the sounds? Yeah, but I, I don't know exactly how it was because I think it stopped and started a lot. Oh, my. Um, it oh my. said that in, I didn't know exactly what it meant, but it said that every time she flashed the flashlight, the noises would start or stop i don't remember but it was they would go on and off and i didn't exactly know what that meant but i just decided to say that they eventually stopped yeah all right and she went back to bed uh and then (sighs) others at the camp also claimed to have seen a strange light and those guttural sounds off and on i assumed the strange light was the flashlight yeah i was gonna say so one person heard a girl crying for her mother but it might have been just another camper right because Um, of a thunderstorm yeah or the guttural noises as well oh jeez so the next morning at 6 a.m., a camp counselor, who may have actually been Carla, uh, on her way to the showers, stumbled upon the lifeless body of a girl, later oh. determined to be Doris, oh. in the forest. Uh, so soon it was discovered that all three girls had been killed, uh, and their bodies had been left in a trail leading to the showers, and the showers were located roughly 150 yards from the tent. From their tent? From the tent eight, yeah. So all three. You don't have like a a uh, diagram of like where everybody was compared to. The... I did, but I didn't put it in. Well, I'm just trying to get a feel. So there's the 86 yards away from counselor tent, and then is it like a triangle, the 150, or is it, um, um or is it you know the is the on. bathroom behind the 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 tent of the counselors? Uh, okay, so it looked sort of like this that's right so you can just describe it just keep going oh Go okay well it was sort of it was like a u-shape sort of uh with the counselor tent on one side and then them on the other side okay and then the in the middle like i could just say and then yeah sort of in the middle is the shower and then but they like, were walking by they see the, the body and they think it's leading from the showers to the tent. oh god so yeah the counselor's tent is pretty close to the Storage. I don't even. I, I know what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying. It's complicated. If it was a parabola. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know this stuff. This is too much math for me. Okay, back to the sad stuff. So they had been sexually assaulted, bludgeoned, and strangled. And uh, they're eight and nine years old. Eight, nine, and ten. When I mean there's good, better be a good ending, I mean like <laughs> there better be vengeance. <laughs> yeah, you seem to want a vengeance for a lot like, of these. Because again, I don't. All right, go. A lot of these stories need vengeance. And, um, so Doris had been strangled. Uh, Michelle had been bludgeoned in the back of the head and on the sides of the head. And Lori uh, also died of being bludgeoned in the head. So, really sad. Do they describe what was used? Uh, we're going to get into okay. that. Uh, and now, the investigation. Uh, Let me guess. The cops ruined the whole place, walked through everything. No, not exactly. Oh, so they're better cops than most in the well, 70s. Well, 
Oh, no. I wouldn't say that quite yet. Okay. Uh, So, June 13th, now. um, That's the next day. Yeah, next day, 7.30 a.m. The bodies were discovered at 6, so now at 7.30, the police arrive. At 10 a.m., the camp is evacuated, and all the campers are sent home. So they stayed a whole night. Like, the 12th in the morning, they find these bodies. They slept a whole night to the 13th? No, the, the 12th. And then on the 13th at 6 a.m. they found Oh, 13th. Okay. Forget, yeah, for, 7 okay, p.m. is when the thunderstorm okay. came in. All right. Sorry. My mistake. I thought they were found on the 12th. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, that would... Like, now this really is a horror story. Yeah, like, that's... What not to do? Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. so the same day after it's, they're found. Yeah. Once right, they're right. found. Okay. Uh, so yeah. they're evacuated four hours later. All right. Yes. So then the next day, uh, the camp was permanently closed. Okay. After running for like 50 years or something. It was running for a while. Uh, so that on June 14th, uh, the floor of the tent is airlifted to the crime lab, uh, and the floor was covered in blood. So the murderer had attempted, or murderer or murderers, uh, had attempted to wipe the blood using towels and mattresses, and a footprint was found in the blood on, in, on the tent, uh, belonging to a size 9.5 shoe. Okay. Oh, you can go to the next three pictures. That's just of the girls oh my god so the first one is Lori, the second one is doris and the third one is michelle oh my they are so young yeah and then the picture after that is of the footprint of the footprint okay so uh and then another different print was found from a tennis shoe outside the tent so it was different from the other one uh and then so just again like you were saying these tents had a wood floor platform yeah and okay just so people understand it's not one of those you know like camping person yeah yeah where you're on the ground and these will all be on our website uh if you want to go look at you should just send the link to the to these this to the to the one that i got this all from yeah yeah uh, i'm gonna do that because it's a really good yeah timeline of everything and it has pictures from previous years and everything it's really really great site uh so if you go to the next picture um a large red flashlight was found on top of one of the girls' bodies, and that's just it on the floor. It's not on a. Is, is that the the Girl Scouts themselves? Like, do they have like was this part of their like kit? I think that it was from the murderer. Oh, and, um, the, and you mean the murderer left their flashlight on a body? I think so. Oh, okay. Uh, so a fingerprint was found on the lens, but it was never identified. Okay. Uh, and then also a, la- a landowner near the camp reported hearing, quote, quite a bit of traffic between 2.30 a.m. and 3 a.m. on June 13th um, on a remote road near the camp. Okay. Uh, so June 15th, a man is arrested. Uh, he was living seven miles north of Camp Scott in his car. He was questioned, but then he was released. Uh, police then start investigating Jack Schroff, uh, who I think is the next picture. Yeah. Uh, so if you go to the next picture. Um, so he was a ranch owner living just west of Camp Scott. And turns out he had, uh, he had had items stolen from his cabin a week before the camp had begun. Um, and those items may have been connected to the murders. Oh, Okay. So, um, police announced that they found, uh, fingerprints on the bodies, a piece of cord, and duct tape as evidence. Okay. 
Then uh, police call in tracking dogs from Pennsylvania, and they were nicknamed by the Wonder Dogs by the press. And I didn't put this in the story because it was like seemed not super relevant, but it was rumored that a uh, local Cherokee medicine man had placed a curse on the dogs so that they would die, and it did end up that a couple of them did die. While they were searching, or like later? While they were searching. Like, one died of, like, heat uh, exhaustion. exhaustion, and another died. I don't remember how, but, huh. um, but also there was a lot of, like, accusations of, like, racial, uh, like, putting the blame on people because of, like, race and stuff during this case, which I'll get into later. Okay. So I didn't want to put it in because also my story was already, like, six pages. All right. Uh, so the next day, June 16th, Uh, The Wonder Dogs arrive, and it is determined that the killer or killers must have passed by the counselor's tent in order to reach the girls. Uh, Glasses and a glasses case are found, uh, but they're determined to have belonged to some camper and a counselor. Okay. Uh, The medical examiner then announced that the girls had not been sexually assaulted. All right, so it was the police who thought that was the case. Yes. Okay. So then the next day... Jack Schroff passes a lie detector test. Uh, And then an article run in the Tulsa Tribune led readers to believe that he was a suspect. And as a result, he began to receive threats and harassing phone calls. And he did have to be hospitalized at one point. It might have been from stress. It also might have been, I don't think he was physically attacked, but like, um, not great. That's not good. Yeah. So then investigators say that they have determined that there are three fingerprints on the girls' bodies. Three. Okay. Yeah. So here's the part where you might start getting angry. June 18th. Sheriff uh, Pete Weaver announces that a murder weapon has been found. District Attorney Sid Wise uh, then went to the press and said they had no idea what he was talking about. What? So... The sheriff, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm just trying to understand. Okay, go explain. Uh, sheriff is saying we have a murder no, weapon. No, I got, I got that part. Yeah. I want you to explain. You're going to explain the disconnect? Well, there's even more Great. disconnect. It's going to just keep going until pretty much the end of this case. Uh, the United Press International reported that the murder weapon was a crowbar and many good fingerprints were found on it. Uh, and, like... None of this was confirmed or anything. Like, throughout, the sheriff and the district attorney have, like, conflicting accounts of everything. The, the sheriff... All right, keep going. Yeah. Uh, also, tracking dogs led investigators to a pond um, on Shroff's property, but nothing was found on it. And is that because they think the they got the scent of the equipment that might have been Probably stolen like from him? All right. Yeah, but they they like they dragged the pawn. Okay. And nothing. nothing. All right. Uh, so then the next day, June nineteenth, the owner of the tracking dogs claimed to have found solid evidence, but like they didn't. They nothing sort of came of this. Then, Sid Wise uh, tells the press that there were no suspects. Uh, Sheriff Weaver told the press that there was one suspect, and the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation uh, told the press that there were three subject, uh, suspects. So are there three different investigations going on? 
It seems like that, but I feel like I mean, it's I like technically the... one investigation, but there are multiple people in power that are involved, and they're all like... Right, but what I don't get is... I, I mean, I get that the Bureau investigation and the police never see eye to eye. At least they didn't at those times. Right. So they're doing their own thing, trying to... And they hide... They You know, they keep things away from them. But the DA usually is working with the police because they have to bring the case. Yeah, there's okay. a lot going on. So the next day, uh, Sid Wise told the press that there were, quote, several suspects in the case and a mountain of evidence. As opposed to the day before when he said there was nothing. Um, then it's announced that fingerprints this were... This really is like a movie. Yeah. Fingerprints were indeed found on one of the bodies. So they're confirming, yes, there are fingerprints. The DA is confirming now. I think this is the uh, coroner's. <laughs> okay. There's a, like, this is really messy. Right. This I feel whole like now there's going to have to be a big flow chart or like an organizational chart, I <laughs> there should There should be. All right, go ahead. Uh, so then another suspect is identified named Mike. They just call him Mike. Uh, he was allegedly camping alone in the area. Uh, and it is it was believed that he had stolen a hatchet from a Boy Scout camp nearby. Okay. So, June 22nd, uh, an officials announced that two photographs, uh, I only have one, but two photographs were found with three women pictured in them. You can go to the next picture. Uh, that's the photograph that I was able to found, so find. Uh, so, some claimed that... Uh, it was found near the bodies, and then some claimed that the photos were found in a cave that was two miles away from the camp. So the whole area is, like, riddled with caves. There's caves everywhere. And also, officials found a note scrawled on the wall of a cave near the camp, which makes me think that this photo was found at the camp, um, or in the cave, uh, reading, quote, 77-6-17, the killer was here. Bye-bye, fools. All right. So then Sid Wise orders a media blackout. And he said that the reason was that the press was portraying the investigators as being involved in infighting. Dolts. Um, are you going to go more about this picture? or? Yeah, I'm going right. to talk about it more. Because I'd like to know who are, who's in the picture. Because I'm trying to think, did they take it from the, one of the girls? No, this is not of the girls. This is not of the girls. Oh. They take it from the girls' oh, no. belongings that were killed. Nope. We will get into it. Okay. And it will lead us to a suspect. All right. So also forensic experts say now there's only one good fingerprint on the bodies and the rest are smudged. So there's only one. June twenty third. Uh they've uh tracked down th this photograph or the two. Uh, to have been developed by a man named Gene Leroy Hart, 33, uh, who was working at the uh, Granite Reformatory Photo Lab. So now attention is being directed at this guy. Now I'm thinking Red Dragon. It doesn't. It, it, that's what it was reminding me of when I was going through this. All right. So a man was spotted near Camp Scott, believed to be Gene Hart. Uh, June 24th, 200 law enforcement officers and 400 volunteers begin a search uh, covering a four-mile area near Camp Scott. And though they were not supposed to have guns, many brought them anyway. And some volunteers were arrested for being drunk. Some were arrested for possession of marijuana. 
And, and they're searching for the for weapon? Gene. Oh, so he's gone. Oh, okay. He's a suspect now. So they, they don't know where he is. Oh, nope. I missed that part. Okay. Um, so I, was, I think I was going to get into this later, but I might just do it now. Uh, okay. So I, I'm going to go into a little bit about Gene before I keep going with the timeline. So, since 1973, Hart had been at large after escaping from Mays County Jail. He had been convicted of kidnapping and raping two pregnant women, uh, as well as four counts of first-degree burglary. Okay, bad dude. Yeah. Uh, He was raised just a mile from Camp Scott. Uh, And, second, this part I'll get into later. Um, So, back to our timeline. Uh, so June 24th is when this search starts. The next day, most of the, uh, lawmen leave the search. Okay. Yeah. Then June 26th, heat-seeking instruments were brought into the manhunt, but were unsuccessful. Uh, and if you you can go to the next picture if you want, that's just a picture of Hart. Are they using, like, heat-seeking, um... Instruments because of caves? Like they're trying to look underground? I think so. Um, There was on that Girl Scout timeline website, they had a picture of the article uh, when they, when this happened. So uh, I don't have it here, but if you want, you can go look at that. Um, So then June 29th, my birthday, um, the FBI placed 40 agents into the area to help the investigation. Okay. Uh, June 30th. Uh, Hart's mother, Ella May Buckskin, told the press that she had been regularly harassed. Um, is there more to that? Because of her son being accused. Yeah. Okay. And she also said that the photographs had been planted by uh, Sheriff Weaver to implicate Hart because uh, of pressure being put on him to have a suspect. Okay. Uh, so July 1st. Uh, law enforcement leaves Camp Scott and they're like, yeah, we've collected all the evidence that we need. We're done here. Okay. Uh, July 5th, a man matching Hart's description was spotted in the search area. Tracking dogs were brought out, but as soon as they caught the scent, they lost it. Okay. Um, July 6th, autopsies were released of the victims. It was concluded that no fingerprints were found on the bodies. And they had indeed been sexually assaulted. Oh, my God. So, now, jumping ahead quite a bit to April 6th of 1978. All right. Um, at 4.15 p.m., eight uh, Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation agents stormed a home belonging to a man named Sam Pigeon after receiving a tip from one of Gene's friends. The house was situated 45 miles from Camp Scott. Hart was inside, and he was arrested. All right. So the reason he had evaded capture for so long was because uh, since he was Cherokee, many indigenous people in the region believed he had been unjustly targeted for his race. So for this reason, they helped him hide. Okay. So I just want to see. But he did do those other crimes. Yeah. Okay. He was convicted, and he escaped. So. Okay. Regardless of whether he did this murder, he's going back to jail. Okay. So you can go to the next picture if you want. That's his wanted thing. Okay. And um, 
the next one is the harassment thing. Yep. Uh, then you can go to the next one. Yep. And then you can go to the next one. Um, and then this next picture, picture 14. Yep. Uh, I want to go into detail a little bit about that. Um, what, how, what do you think when you like see this picture? Like, what does it sort of, what sort of vibes does it give off to you? Bunch of good old boys. <laughs> the fuck they were on a hunt. Exactly. So this picture uh, raised a lot of controversy because people were like, they look like they're posing with game. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it doesn't look like they've like captured a murder. It looks like they're just like, yeah. Yeah. So I but just he was a fugitive. To, I mean, that is true. So, but at the same time, like that's just I wanted to yeah. go into detail mm. a little bit about that. So, let's talk about the trial. Uh, it began on March nineteenth, nineteen seventy nine. All right. Uh, the witnesses included Carla Wilhite, D. Elder, Susan Emery, who was a counselor, uh, Karen Mitchell, who was another counselor, uh, Larry Dry, who was a convict and former associate of Hart. Um, Anne Reed, a forensic chemist, uh, Neil Hoffman, an Oklahoma State Medical Examiner, and John McLeod, a professor of anatomy at Cornell University. Okay. So, uh, some of the evidence, there were hair samples, um, that were taken from heart and from the bodies that matched, but also hair analysis was discredited as a forensic technique in 2015, or as of 2015. But they, he, there was hair found on their bodies. On the girls' bodies. That was his. Well, they just like pretty much looked at it under a microscope. Oh, so this is not, okay. So this is just like eyesight. This is not, yeah. all right, all right. Uh, also, items So it could in, have been Bigfoot for all they know. Yeah. So they just did, Bigfoot. I mean, they could have just said anything. Pretty much. All right. Unless it was like a blonde person. Yeah, and well, they were like, I mean. Um. So items in the, the... Am I going to get frustrated with this? I'm going to get... Oh, come on. All right. So... Uh, I don't want, like, the BuzzFeed Unsolved podcast. <laughs> I want solved. All right, go. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, so there, that cave where the photographs possibly were found, Yeah. Uh, it was believed that he had hidden out in it okay so just so you know this is eerily familiar to the latest true true detective series that was on hbo not exactly this but just so the things you're saying so it might have been inspired by this it could have been uh so this cave was 100 feet away from hart's childhood home all right and um in the cave authorities found a counselor's stolen sunglasses a roll of tape matching what was found at the crime scene and possibly the photographs. Uh, so also item, items. Whoops. Um, so also items from where Hart was arrested. They found a mirror and a toy pipe and a counselor testified that they were taken from her tent. Okay. Uh, so this is probably the most interesting piece of evidence. Uh, that flashlight it was modified to only emit a slice of light. And Hart was known to modify flashlights in that specific manner. Like, the way that it was modified, it was, like, the way he did it. Okay. 
And that convict that I was talking about, he was the one who said that. Okay. So um, that's the evidence. The trial went on until March 30th. Um, and Sheriff Weaver said that he was, quote, 1,000% sure that Hart was guilty. The jury deliberated for only five minutes before returning with the verdict, not guilty. Five minutes. Five minutes. And what was their reasoning? Um, well, the transcript, the transcript was not kept because he was um, determined not guilty. So I guess at least at the time they got rid of transcripts if oh my God. they were acquitted of the crime. So all the evidence you just said to me. That's only from articles. All right. So there must have been a whole host of other things that. Oh, yeah, there were. So the defense was like, look, this wasn't him. Here's all. So even the things that they're saying they may have found could have been not really found. Yes. And a lot of stuff went around. Okay. So this is. All right. No, no. Go ahead. Hold on. I just. Five minutes is crazy. Like it's almost that point where you're like, why even go to deliver? They could have just been like, all right, we already have our answer. Yeah. And I think. Someone. I think it takes five minutes just to get to the jury back room and then come <laughs> back. So yeah. I think they just walked there to come and walk right back. Probably, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people were accusing Weaver of planting all this evidence. Okay. So, um, so Hart, of course, went back to prison because he was for the for, for escaping, right? Yeah. yeah okay. uh, and he died of a heart attack on June fourth, nineteen seventy nine. Oh. Uh, uh, he collapsed after. An hour of lifting weights and jogging in the prison exercise yard. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he died with 305 years still to serve of a 308-year sentence. Wow. So, in 2008... There was no, like, they, no one thought it was any funny business on his death? No, I, I okay. think he just gave out. But he was young when he died. Yeah. Hmm. Um... So in 2008, uh, new DNA testing was conducted on the stains found on a pillowcase. Uh, however, the results were inconclusive because the samples were, quote, too deteriorated to obtain a DNA profile. Okay. And in 2017, uh, the sheriff of the town uh, raised $30,000 for new DNA tests, um, but the results have not yet been made public or found i don't really know this is an unsolved <laughs> it was where's my hitting stick no wait a minute here <laughs> God. um it was believed that Hart did not match the fingerprint found on the flashlight and his shoes were size 11.5 oh my god they must have said that at the trial they probably did okay so the case is unsolved <sighs> um yeah, they don't know who did it. And so they, so since since they did that twenty seventeen, that you saw, there's been no updates since then. No, I tried to find what this DNA test like. Well, maybe did, they, oh, I, maybe they're doing it through the genealogy date, d- databases, oh, right? So they're not saying a word because, and maybe they will track this person down. Yeah, but oh, no vengeance. Oh. No vengeance. I, yet I, we don't know. I don't. I didn't know this story. Um, the details of it. I mean, I just remember. Uh, I, I remember thinking about, I've heard things about Girl Scout, but I don't know the story detail. But again, yeah, True Detective is kind of, it's just weird. It's got a lot of the same. And it takes place. Is it Oklahoma? It might. Well, oh, no, it's Ar- oh. Arkansas. Maybe okay. it's Arkansas. Well, yeah, that's the Oklahoma Girl Scout murders. That's actually a good story. And that should be, if it's not been a movie already or something. It's quite movie, like it's very movie material. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
Wow. And I don't know if I even mentioned, but Camp Scott's like a Girl Scout camp. So that's why it's the Girl Scout murders. Yeah. No. Makes sense. Um, I think you said that in the beginning. Did I? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, that's that. No vengeance. Unsolved. But who knows? Maybe that DNA test will bring something up. Yeah. There's hope. We can have hope. Oh, man. Ah, that's... <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was like, yeah, okay. I told you this one was going to be depressing. It is. And I want vengeance, so we need to follow up. Gotta keep up. You need to make like a, a Google alert for this to yeah. see if anything comes up. Yeah, I'll do or that. Or if anybody else knows stuff, please send yes, it our please, way. Please, if you, please, that'd be great. I'll, right. I'll go over all our like social media and stuff at the yeah, end. So well, stick around for that. That was a good story. Thank you. All right. I know you, before I get started, you wanted to add something yes. to yours. Go ahead. Uh, so I wasn't going to put this in, but I feel like it helps explain the song that I chose, which is Cruel Summer. Uh, so on that first night, Doris wrote a letter home to her family I'm just going to read it for you. It says, Dear Mom, I don't like camp. It's awful. The first day it rained. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I have three new friends named Linda, Lori, and Michelle. Michelle and Lori are my roommates. Mom, I don't want to stay in camp for two weeks. I want to come home to see Kathy and everybody. Your loving child, her nickname was Denise, Denise Milner. Uh and also... Um, I read this. You're making it worse. I know I'm making it worse, but I read somewhere that uh, Lori was choosing, like she was torn between this camp and a different camp, okay, and her mom stop. ultimately just chose. Stop, stop! Her. Like this is like just torture. To it's really sad. I mean, that family has to be. I mean, to get that afterwards, because I mean, they would have mailed it that day. <sighs> this happens, and then they get that letter later. I mean, come on. All right. Yeah, really <sighs> sad, but. Yeah. All right. Oh, man. I hope your story is happier. No, mine's not happier, and oh. I'm just angry now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> go ahead, I guess. All right. Well, my story uh, takes place in 1973. All right. We are in Australia. All right. In New South Wales. Okay. Um, and then a, a bunch of towns in New South Wales. There's um, like Aberdeen, and uh, there's a couple others, but Aberdeen's the majority of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the songs that were at the top of the charts in 73. Number five was Elton John's Crocodile Rock. Okay. Number three was Carly Simon's You're So Vain. Okay. And number one was Tony Orlando and Dawn's Tie a Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree. Just crazy, but, you know. Okay. That's what it was. Um, in an abattoir, which is a slaughterhouse, mm-hmm. okay, a young woman would okay. start a relationship with a co-worker. In a slaughterhouse? Yes. She worked there. He worked there. They would start a relationship. Oh. David Stanford Kellett was the dude. Uh-huh. Kellett was a known drunk. Oh. And I don't mean like not like drunk, get drunk after work. Like basically I'm drunk most of the time drunk. Um, previously he worked for the railways and when he worked there, he had witnessed his best friend die. And oh, my belief is that the guy was driving the train and he hit a school bus that killed six <gasps> children. So he... That's when he started drinking, depression, and all these other things, basically. That's understandable. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's horrible. And uh, when he was on the job, he was drinking, and a bunch of train derailments happened, too, while he was oh. drinking. So that, you know, he got fired and basically then got a job at a slaughterhouse. So he had this trauma that caused him to drink. He was also known to be a violent drunk. Oh. 
and he had his fair share of brawls, run-ins with the police. So again, not the best dude. Right. Now, their relationship was just was also not a fairy tale. And <sighs> I mean, really far, far from it. Oh. Even though Kellett was violent, drunk, you know, his partner was even worse. Oh, no. If Kellett got in a fight, his significant other would jump right in. Oh, my God. And usually take over. Oh. Soon, after that aspect, she would dominate that relationship as well. Oh, wow. To the point where if he started any fights too, it wasn't even that people starting it with them. He'd be like, I, I got it. And he would, so he would start a fight and mm-hmm. then she would finish it for him. And then she would just just get rid of the middleman. So like, who wants to fight? Oh my God. By 74, she believed that this was her soulmate. Um, and she asked him to marry her. Okay. Girl power? Oh yeah. She then drove her motorcycle with him on the back <laughs> to the Justice of the Peace. Oh my God. To get married. Oh, my God. He was drunk. That doesn't surprise me. At the ceremony. Yes. His new mother-in-law. Oh, no. Gave this advice to him, which I guess he did remember, so I guess he wasn't that drunk. And um, I'll quote. You better watch this one or she'll effing kill you. (laughs) Stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you're effed. (laughs) Don't ever think of playing up on her. She'll effing kill you. She's got a screw loose somewhere. So that was the mother's mother-in-law's speech, I guess, <laughs> to, hey, yay, you're married. Congrats. Exactly. Watch your back. Oh, yeah. Actually, watch everywhere. Yeah, true. Um, so on their wedding night, things took a turn for the worse. Oh, no. After consummating the marriage three times, oh. Kellett fell asleep, only to be awakened by strangulation. Oh. <gasps> She was upset that he was asleep and she wanted to keep going. Oh my God. Somehow he fought her off oh during this, my you know, God. honeymoon night. Okay, so now somehow they endured this wedding bliss for 10 years. And of bliss course, for 10 years. How they define bliss is best described by the great physic. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Let's, here's what happened in their 10 years of marriage. Are you ready? You said this wasn't going to be funny. So far, it's it's not funny. Well, you did a good job of lightening it up. All right. Well, while pregnant, she burned Kellett's clothes and (gasps) shoes before smashing him in the head with a frying pan. Oh, my God. Because he came home late after a darts match. Oh, my God. A darts match that was the semifinals that he had just won to get into the finals. Oh, my God. Somehow, he staggered from being smashed in the head to get help. The police came, but somehow Kellett didn't want to press any charges. Oh, my God. Then she gave birth to their first child in 74, Melissa Ann. Mm-hmm. And Kellett was like, okay, you know, I'm leaving. Like, so baby's born. Yeah. And he's like, I'm out of here. And he left. Now, this is where I don't, it, it's a little weird and gray. Either he left to go back to live with his mother, or he left 
because of another woman. I, I it, it one place it said like he left because of another woman. Somewhere else, his mother gets involved. So I'm thinking he left to live with his mom. All right. And it, she lived in Queensland or wherever he went was it was in Queensland because he was fearing for his life. I would be too. So that that didn't go over well with the oh, no. the like the woman the you know the new mom. Witnesses reported reported her taking her newborn in a stroller down Main Street and violently just throwing the stroller one <gasps> side, throwing it to the other side. No. Yeah. That's not good. No. <gasps> she was arrested. Yeah, good. And sent to a mental facility. She was diagnosed with, at the time, it, I mean, it was postpartum depression is what they said she was uh, diagnosed, mm. but I think called it something else like, you know, postnatal, blah, 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 blah. It's postpartum. And she spent several weeks receiving care weeks weeks okay wait, wait. it should be years after her release oh my god she then took the stroller down to the train tracks <gasps> placing it on the train tracks within time that um a train was coming she then went into town and then stole an axe and started threatening people with an axe oh my god by chance, there was this homeless man. There was actually a name. I think it was like Homeless Ted or something. Homeless Ted. Wow. Saved the baby. They're oh saying like in the nick of time. Wow. So got her off the tracks. She was again sent to the mental facil- uh, facility where she somehow recovered in one day and signed herself out. I feel like if you need to be sent oh, twice. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We got more here. Just It's... So now... She's left after saying that she's fine with herself. Oh, my God. After she gets out, mm-hmm. she's like, I'm getting Kellett. I'm going to Queensland. That's oh where I want to go. And what she ends up doing is she basically carjacks this woman. She slashes her in the face with a oh, knife. What the? With her, you know, her butcher knives because she was, she worked at a slaughterhouse. Um, and she was forcing this woman to drive her to find Kellett. With a slashed face? I'm basically I don't think she's, it's very she's safe driving. Well, I think she's probably holding a knife saying like get take me. Well, where she first went to was the mechanic who fixed the car apparently to get him out of wherever they were living at the time um oh. and to on his way to Queensland. So they get to the that place and when they're there, of course she is the woman who got her face slashed escapes. They're calling the police. The woman then takes a boy hostage oh my with God. the knives but successfully the police apprehend her. Now she's sent to an actual mental hospital. Okay. Right. And while she's there, she starts telling the nurses that what she, the plan was to kill the mechanic and then she was, that helped kill, fix Kellett's car. Then she was going to find Kellett, kill him, and then kill his mother. Okay. What, you know, just average conversation over breakfast. So the police now inform Kellett that, hey, this woman's coming for you. And they take pity on her. No. So Kellett and his mother move back to the town to support her because they think that this is all due to postpartum. No. She's now released in 76, and she's in the care of Kellett and the mother-in-law. Oh, my God. So when she was released from the institution, it was around 76, and she was now in the care of Kellett and her mother-in-law. All right? By 1980... Mm Mm-hmm. She would have another daughter, so she kind of like was, I guess, calm between those in those four years. And she has her other daughter. She has her other daughter. Okay. Four years later, in '84, she basically said, "I'm done with Kellett," and leaves him. What? Yeah. So wait, wait. 
when when he leaves her she goes crazy and like plots to kill her but she can just leave him and it's no big deal right and i, I what i yeah and but I, and in a way, I bet you Kel was like, "Thank you, yes, all right, whatever." <laughs> that I, is true. You took everyone. That's great. Um, and he ends, she ended up moving back with her parents. So between eighty four and two thousand, she spent a lot of time working at slaughterhouses, um, honing her skills for butchering and things like that. Ooh. And she would have a whole bunch of other relationships, but. Being alone was always a problem for her. She always needed to dominate someone. Mm-hmm. And in 2000, like I had mentioned, things would escalate and escalate fast oh, no. into something that honestly is out of a horror film. Oh, no. This is the story of Catherine Knight. All right. I'm going to go into the crime timeline. Crime timeline. But before I do, just a couple things. I want to, oh. the sources, I used Murderpedia. All that's interesting. Ranker, um, the the news.com of Australia. I don't know if it's the Australian news or how they call it. And then if there's Wiki, Wikipedia as well. Um, so before I go to the crime timeline. Crime timeline. <laughs> you do know this story. I do. No, that's fine. That's cool. I heard it. I don't remember if it was my foot murder or, uh, and that's why we drank. All right. No worries. No, it's Might cool. be both, but it, it's a good one. It's crazy. Um, one thing I will say is that, uh, how I found the story, shout out to Karen, because, um, we have a listener who wrote a, uh, uh, a great email just to us about mm. just how that she listened to while she's doing jigsaw puzzles. So then I was like, oh, you know, I should just try to figure out if there's any jigsaw murders, things like that, which yeah. I found a bunch of jigsaw yeah. ones specifically. And then that led me down and then there was a, just, it was it was one of the list of, of of murders right and then i saw this and i was like oh i never heard this one and i just started reading more and then i got further 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 so <laughs> thank you karen because this i this is new to me so i it was great for me to to research it and then and then go through it and i then, had pretty much forgotten about this one too so yeah well again please if you guys get something and tell us how you're listening so it, it inspires us so yeah uh, we found pretty intense murders too yeah, so so all right so here we go back to the crime timeline crime timeline <laughs> um so Catherine mary knight was born on october 24th 1955 she was a half an hour younger than her twin sister joy Catherine's mother barbara had four boys from a previous marriage um the two eldest lived with their father and then the two younger with their aunt so the father's sister um however uh the husband died in um, 59, I think. Oh, wow. That's, she was young. Um, I, can't, I don't remember how old they, the parents were, but when that happened, the two eldest boys then moved in with um, Barbara mm. and Catherine and Joy. Um, Catherine's father, Ken, um, the new you know, her father, basically, and Barbara, Ken and Barbara, mm-hmm. had two other children. Ken and Barbie? Yeah, it's not Barbie, but uh. but had two other children besides Catherine and Joy, one older brother and one um, younger brother. So there was the four with Ken and Barbara, and then the two old, ed, eldest, so there six people living in that house for some time. Ken worked in slaughterhouses and moved the family around, you know, basically to wherever they were, they could find work. Um, and he was really good at his job, super diligent to the point where like he would put 12 hour shifts in and everybody wanted, you know, he was, they wanted him to work there. Oh, wow. So, um, so 
she, growing up, she was a pretty good student and had really no problems with anyone and was known to basically be able to put on the charm and, you know, teachers thought she was great, this, that, she was smart, all these other things. Um, she rarely got in trouble <laughs> or she rarely got caught. Oh. So that's really the question. Um, by 16, her life was school and slaughterhouses because they were kind of moving around, that kind of thing. Oh, my. And she fell in love with the latter. And she then decided that, hey, you know what? School's really not for me. I want to work in the slaughterhouses with you, Dad. Oh. So her, she did. Her older brother and her twin sister started working in the slaughterhouses. All right, then. And she started to get really good at deboning carcasses and also became really like one of the boys in the sense that she picked up all the language, dealt with uh, the roughness and how tough it, uh, it would be. It was a male-dominated profession. Wow. So, you know, she was one of the few women that were there that actually worked also in the deboning part versus working like back office or whatever you want to call it. Um, and she would throw down with anyone. Like, she was known to just, no one messes with her. Oh. Her prized possessions became her razor-sharp boning knives, which she would hang over her bed. Oh. And there was other things about saying that she did that because it kept her safe in case, you know, she ever needed to use them. Unless they fall on your head when you're sleeping. True. Um, she was a tr an attractive woman, and most suitors, though, were intimidated by her toughness because she could probably drop them. Easily. <laughs> um, she was usually the one pursuing her mates or her, uh, well, what someone who may become a mate. Um, and she would then turn on her, her charm to basically seal that deal. And then afterwards, she, of course, bully them, dominate them, and oh, basically yeah. <laughs> mentally abuse them, <laughs> as she did with Kellett. So in 84, after she had left Kellett, um, who, again, was very happy probably and that she up and left, she returned to her parents' home in Aberdeen, and that was pretty short-lived. Her parents were like, you need to get out. You can't live with us. Um, and maybe it's just because, you know, she probably, you know, was going to kill him. Pretty much. She then took a job at the local slaughterhouse, but within that year, she her back would give out because of the, you know, all the bending with deboning carcasses and things. Huh. She would receive a pension and was awarded a government, and was also awarded um, government housing. So here she is now with a house and income coming in. She was only 30 around by that time. Um, That's the life. And was good looking. That's the life. Right. Well, all she was missing by this time now was a man. And Girl, you don't need a man. She turned on her charm, and she focused on one man in particular, David Saunders, 38 years old. Hmm. Saunders was attractive. He was a good guy, pretty well known around the town. Um, his only vice? Drinking. You'll see a pattern there with the drinking. Yeah, it seems like a pattern already. <laughs> By 86, Saunders had taken to Catherine, and mainly because of her voracious sexual appetite. Oh, my. So uh, they had their version of a honeymoon period where, like, pretty much drinking, sex, drinking, sex, that kind of thing. Um, Saunders then moved in with Catherine and her two daughters from Kellett. Oh, yeah. Forgot but about that. He kept his apartment. So he was living with them, but he still had this place to go, mm. which caused great strife in the relationship. 
honestly, I don't blame him. Like, I <laughs> I would need a an escape. Well, I don't think. Well, at the time, I don't. I don't. Again, whatever. I don't know how you what must. he knew about her or anything. But then soon she started to become jealous. Started accusing him of having affairs because why does he have to have this apartment? Um, she would throw him out, and then she would go to the apartment begging him for to, for him to come back, and of course he always did. By eighty seven, things were getting a lot more violent, more physical. Right. Catherine was actually taller than Saunders, and she would beat him up oh. with both her fists and her boots. Her fists and her boots. Yeah, so she kicked the crap out of him. Literally, kicked the crap out oh of him. Oh my god. Then one evening, she confronted Saunders about what would happen to him if he ever cheated on her. Oh, no. She took his two-month-old dingo puppy and <gasps> slit no! the puppy's throat no! with a boning knife no! in front of him. No! And then beating him unconscious with a frying pan. No! No! Yeah. Oh, my God. But Saunders didn't leave. Oh and a year later, they had God. a baby girl. So things started to calm down after Sarah was born. Um, Good. To the extent where Saunders then put a deposit on a home for the family in Aberdeen. Oh. And uh, Catherine's uh, workers' comp from the back injury uh, would pay f- would pay basically pay in full in around oh. eighty nine. Now Catherine had us wanted just knew how to decorate her house i guess like she had a she had a vision okay and it was a two-bedroom house it wasn't huge so she has two ki- three kids now and then them in the two-bedroom house so it's k- tiny yeah but the way to decorate that house hide skulls pelts oh my. taxidermy of oh. all types of animals okay those poor kids it was basically a shrine or museum to what she loved and fantasized about wow doesn't even care about everyone else but that's pretty standard and again that word bliss <laughs> well it was short-lived oh Catherine would batter saunders with an iron <gasps> and then stab him with scissors oh my god he left for about a week a week yeah without calling authorities what the hell and when he returned after having to be invited he found that Catherine had cut up all the clothes all of his clothes and threw them away oh my God. That was the last straw, the clothes cutting. Not That's... the scissors or being hit by an iron, his clothes. So, you know. Oh, my God. What about his puppy being killed? Uh-huh. So Saunders just up and left. Catherine tried in vain again to find him, but after a while just gave up. Oh, my God. Saunders did return after months to, fi- to basically see his daughter, only to learn that Catherine had filed a restraining order against him. And he wasn't allowed to be near them. So she, she, she twisted a... the story. She, again, she had great charm. Oh, my right? God. Now, Catherine didn't wait long for another suitor. She would start a relationship with a man named John Chillingworth, who also worked at the slaughterhouse. And guess what? He was a heavy drinker. Oh. She would get pregnant and give birth to a son, her only son, Eric, in 1991. And Chillingworth and Catherine were together for about three years, much to almost everyone's surprise. <laughs> uh, and he, fortunately, I guess, wasn't hit by frying pans, irons, stabbed with scissors, or fists. Or if he was, no one ever knew about it. Okay. okay. Now, people knew 
of Catherine's violent past, like of what happened with Saunders, right? Yeah. So now, while she was with Chillingworth, and this is why they think maybe she didn't beat the crap out of him, she was actually having an affair with another man named Jonathan Price. Oh, my God. Or John Price, if I should say. If you ever cheat on me, and God. Chillingworth would would end the relationship when he found out about the affair, um, and he was actually kind of heartbroken when he found out too. Just you know, I mean, he had a child with this woman. That's true, but um, like honestly, it's good for him to get out of that because did he even know like about her past? Like uh, he had to because the Saunders thing was like in the town. Like it wasn't like they didn't know. Oh um, but what was it might have been a blessing disguise for him because it put him on the right path. I think he quit drinking, kind oh, of good. found his life and everything like that because of the depression of being you know jolted by this woman wow. um but the most important thing of this whole thing it probably saved his life yeah okay so let's talk about john price he goes by pricey he met Catherine at a local hotel in around 93 so um chillingworth and her were together like around like they had a baby in 91 so oh, wow. in 93 is when they started out there so he left like a year after that so she it was in the later stages of their relationship not, I don't think she was having the affair during the time they had the baby. No. They were both 38 at the time. Um, Pricey was married in the past, but he had been, he divorced in 88. He had three kids, but the youngest lived with his wife. The two teenagers, um, they were a brother and sister lived with Pricey. Okay. okay. Pricey was well known in the town. He was a stand up guy. He would help anyone if they needed anything, like would give his right arm kind of thing. Um, okay. He worked at the mines. Uh, and, that's one of the no, hints. Sorry. Yes. And he made a pretty decent salary. Hmm. Um, he also liked to drink, but he wasn't um, like a drunk. You know what I mean? I don't think he would have been able to have the salary he did, but he did drink. You know, he was, he could hold his own. All right. Um, he was well aware of Catherine's past. He and knew other. still. But he was smitten by her and her voracious sexual appetite. Oh, my God. By 95... Catherine and her family moved into his home. So it's the th- three daughters now and one son because there's oh. four of them, right? Because Eric was there. So the three daughters, two from the Kellett, one from Chillingworth, and one from Saunders, daughter from Saunders. Yeah, okay, okay. Now, Catherine, again, was at her best in the early stages and super charming. She would drive the kids to school, drive them to wherever they needed to go. She would pick up Pricey if he was working late. Um, she would cook dinners. You know, she would mend the clothes. Um, again, bliss. Bliss. Yeah, well, maybe not her bliss. Be, yeah. <laughs> However, soon after moving in, the infidelity accusations would surface because, you know, why are you working late? This, that. Arguments would happen, and then fights would ensue. Oh, no. And it would happen sometimes in the front yard of the house. It would happen at the local bars, the hotels. Oh. I mean, it was in public. So the breakups, the makeups, that roller coaster ride had begun. By 98, Catherine and Pricey got into a fight about marriage because Catherine was, you need to marry me. And Pricey was, I don't think I need that. I've been there, done that. <laughs> so Catherine threatened to blackmail him. She had secretly videotaped a bunch of items that were in the house that Pricey had either, you know, taken or stolen Mm -hmm. from the mine. They got in an altercation when this all came about, and Catherine hit Pricey in an argument, and then he retaliated and belted her across the face. (gasps) 
as revenge, she took that tape, went to Pricey's bosses to show them that, you know, he's stealing all these things. And uh, they were basically like, these are old items. They're not worth values or stuff. But because he had done that, they fired him. Oh, After 17 years working there. That night, after finding out that he was fired, he kicked Catherine out of the house, as well as the whole family, and just said, you're done. Um, And then she went back to that old, that two-bedroom house that she had. Oh, wow. And was just stewing in her anger. (laughs) After a few months... Pricey and Catherine got back together. He didn't allow her to move her back in to move back in though. Okay? Why? But like oh it's it's that whole like that abusive relationship, right? Like you right. get to that point where you get beaten down. Um the drinking though started to increase and both of them would drink more often oh, and of course yeah. fights would follow. Again, in the pu- in public, everyone would see it and Pricey's friends started to leave him because they're like, look, we can't be around this woman who's just toxic. Uh, and they all were like, something's going to give at some point. Yeah. So by 2000, Catherine by now had finagled her way back into Pricey's home. But the drunken fights almost every night. Oh. And then they were increasing in violence. No. At one point after an argument, in their bliss, she stabbed him in the chest with a knife. What? Yeah. Oh, God. That was it for Pricey. Oh, he survived? Yes. He went to the magistrate and uh, got a rush. Look, I got, have a knife in my well, chest. Well, I don't think, that, I mean, I think it happened, and then he didn't do it that with a knife, but like within, and after did he his talk healing, to the authorities? Like- he did and got a restraining order on okay. February 29th. 2000. Uh, However, that did not stop Catherine. That same evening, Mm. she drove to Pricey's house. Mm. She entered the house. Mm. She took a shower. And then joined him in bed. And they had sex. What? Yep. On the morning of March 1st, Pricey's neighbor noticed that his truck was still parked in his yard. And that was unusual for Pricey because he left, you know, for work by six-ish. And... Pricey had beforehand actually had told his coworkers, his employer, and stuff like that. Look, if there's ever a time that I don't come to work, you know, send send the you know the posse or whatever because you know bad things, man. Um, so his employer did grow grow alarm, yeah, or grow alarm. His employees were alarmed, um, and or employer was alarmed, and uh, the neighbor actually grabbed a friend. And they went over to the house. So again, they were trying to call the house. Nothing was happening. And when they got to the the house, they rang the bell. No one's answering. But they noticed by the front door that there was a little bit of blood on the woodwork oh, area. God. So they called police as well as, of course, the employer had called police. At 8 a.m., the police arrived and they forced entry through the rear door of the house to find Pricey dead. Oh. And here's what happened and how they found it. So I'm going to talk about actual evening and then the aftermath. Yep. So after having sex with his <laughs> wife, not wife, sorry, his partner who has a restraining order from seeing him, he fell asleep. Rookie only mistake. to be awoken by Catherine holding a butcher knife oh my and stabbing him 37 times. That's more than Caesar. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't think it was a two brute, but... Uh, um, <laughs> But Pricey woke up during this attack, right? Like I 
and he he tried to escape, so he was trying to actually leave the room. However, she had punctured many internal organs, oh. and he would collapse before even leaving the bedroom. Oh, my God. Catherine then took his body downstairs and got her slaughterhouse off. Oh, my God. She skinned him, like, skinned him from between one centimeter to four centimeter. Oh, my God. Of skin through, and took the pelt and hung it <gasps> Between the doorway of the kitchen and the lounge area. Oh. And there was, like, I mean, the details are crazy. Like, I'm not going to go through it, but the, the police report, where they go through it, about how they found things, like, the nose was there. I mean, oh. the fingers, hair, oh. like, right? Then, she decapitated him oh. and removed some of his body parts. Oh, my God. She placed his head in a pot and added some vegetables. She brought the pot to a boil and cooked it. She then roasted some other body parts in the oven. Oh, my God. She made two plates that contained the pieces of the cooked meat, baked potato, a baked pumpkin, zucchini, cabbage, yellow squash, and some gravy. Doesn't actually sound too bad if you look over the whole human meat sure part. Sure, it does. Yeah. I'm saying if you overlook the human meat part, sounds... I don't know if I want baked pumpkin. That just sounds awful. Like, I mean, that, that, that ruined the plate for me. <sighs> <laughs> and I don't know what the gravy. Like, I mean, we're talking about. Anyway. I like gravy. I think the gravy was from the boiled pot. Well, so, I'm saying overlook the human part, and okay. it sounds good. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I wouldn't mind a nice, like, roast vegetable and, like, meat that is not human dinner. Hey. Okay. There you Seems go. like I'm the only one. Okay. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, when the police searched the house, they found Catherine passed out next to the skinned and decapitated body oh, of Pricey. God. She was snoring away, and there was an open bottle of pills next to her. She had tried to kill herself. Oh, well, didn't work. When they had entered, when they were coming through and they were surveying the property, they noticed the remains of some roasted meat outside on the lawn, which matched the meat that were on the plates inside. There on the table were the two plates, as I mentioned, with the, you know, your your glorious dinner that (laughs) you find is probably blissful for you. Oh, my God. (laughs) And at the... At, on, by the place there were place settings with notes saying Beaky and Jonathan then one the nickname of the daughter and Jonathan oh, so the yeah. plates were made for the kids to eat when they came home how old were they at this point I think they were teenagers uh, that explains why they weren't like at home through the night later it was discovered that the roasted meat was from Pricey's butt surprise surprise so at the trial <laughs> She would recover from her suicide attempt by, I think it was on March 6th, and at her bed in the hospital, they charged her for murder. <laughs> she pled not guilty and claimed innocence. She said she didn't remember anything. Oh she just said, hey, God. we had sex. He went to the bathroom. Then we went to sleep. And the next thing I know, I was wake, uh, I was being, um, you know, basically awoken by the police. Wow. Her attorneys tried to plead manslaughter, which was denied immediately. It was learned, though, that after the murder, she actually left the house and went to an ATM hit with his bank card and took oh. out a thousand uh, Australian dollars. Oh so in between the suicide attempt and cooking the food, like she cooked 
and got came back had money so she left the premises right before uh the trial she had changed her plea to guilty and the judge um wanted her to be evaluated by psychiatrists just to make sure that she was of sane mind before they took the plea they deemed her sane and they believed she was sane when she did when she killed um pricey (laughs) on november 8th justice barry o'keefe sentenced Catherine mary knight to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole the judge said that her papers were to be marked, and I quote, never to be released, unquote. Good. She was the first woman to have ever been handed that type of sentence. Oh, wow. The general consensus is that she did eat part of Price. And when she, she probably found it so, so disgusting that she chose to block it from her mind. Ugh. In June of, two, of 2006, she appealed the severity of the sentence. The appeal was dismissed, and the one, one of the judges wrote, this was an appalling crime almost beyond contemplation in a civilized society. Oh, my goodness. Currently, she's at the Malawa Women's Correctional Center, and she works as a cleaner in the governor's office. Wow. She's not allowed to cook. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't blame them. And that's the story of Catherine Knight. Wow. I forgot quite a lot of that. <laughs> Alrighty. Wow. All right. So, since both of our stories were really not funny and happy, um, I've got two fun facts. And they're not, like, themed with our stories. I just looked up some happy fun facts. So, are you ready? You bet. So... Number one, cows produce more milk when they hear music that is soothing. A study in 2001 determined songs like Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. caused cows to produce more milk. (laughs) Pretty great. And number two, goats have accents just like people based on where they were raised. (laughs) That's awesome. Pretty great. Uh, Yeah, this is from Factinate. Cool. So, yeah, I figured we needed a little—I don't know what's it called. Cheer up, or no, that's good. Fact. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Okay. Um, do we have wrapping thoughts before I launch into the spiel? No, I think we just have to basically watch some type of comedy now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what we do in the shadows. Exactly. Um. Okay. So. If you want to send us your own fun facts, suggestions, or stories that you have experienced, uh, then you can send them through our Gmail, which is everythinginpodcast at gmail.com. It's really great. Uh, Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. (laughs) Uh, You can also submit all those things through our website, which is www.everythingpodcast.weebly.com. And we also have visuals from every episode and a list of all the episode topics on there where to listen, all that fun stuff. So check us out there. Uh, we also have social media. We are on Instagram at everything in podcast on Twitter at between underscore podcast and on Facebook, both a group and a uh, page, both called everything in between podcast. Um, give us a follow or a friend or whatever it is. Say hi. Uh, we announce new episodes there. Fun behind the scenes stuff. Uh, hints for every yeah. <laughs> episode. Um, 
so yeah check us out there and of course uh don't forget to rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts uh really really helps and suggest this to your friends uh always love getting a wider audience that'd be great yeah yeah uh, i think that's it yeah. uh then i guess until next week until next week goodbye bye